we need to have more diverse fund managers in order to find more diverse founders, in order to have more solutions to problems that most investors won't even experience themselves. So how are they going to evaluate the market if they haven't experienced it? Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Nora Bavy, founder and general partner of Unconventional Ventures based in Stockholm, Sweden. They're an impact investing house, and we're gonna be looking at some of the work they're doing in supporting startups in pre-seed and seed stages, led by diverse founders who identify as women, people of color, immigrants, and or LGBTQ+. Uh, They're building scalable impact tech companies in the Nordics and beyond. So we're gonna be looking at the impact investing side of life today, and some of the work that uh, Unconventional Ventures is driving forward, uh, how they're aligning mission and strategy, the impact measurement side of things, challenges, opportunities, and trends. So without further ado, Nora, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. You're out there in Stockholm in Sweden. We're here in the UK. Not much of a time difference whatsoever. And so you're the founder and general partner of Unconventional Ventures, or UV. And perhaps that's a great starting point. What's uh, what's Unconventional Ventures all about? Yes, so Unconventional Ventures is today an impact fund considered as Europe's first impact fund with a diversity lens. That means that we are uh, focused on companies that have impact at the core following the SDGs or ESGs, if you uh, prefer that. Uh, and it's important to us with more perspectives behind the solutions that 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 then they are out there so with that being said we do have an appetite for founders that identify as women minorities people of color immigrants and or lgbtq plus obviously there's a lot of layers to that um but i think the most important thing is to realize that knowing what the funding gap looks like we need more than ever more innovation, more problem solving from entrepreneurs that do respect or does represent other perspectives um, into this ecosystem. So that is what Unconventional Ventures is about. Now I'm the co-founder. I have an incredible uh, partner called Thea Messel, which happens to be Norwegian based in Denmark. Um, and we met actually me as a founder uh, and her as coming from the financial with a financial background, realizing that the funding gap is really hurting us from not only uh, making smart business decisions, but as I mentioned, what kind of products and solutions are, are we seeing in the market and who are we solving for? So I think one of the most important thing uh, about unconventional ventures is really about not only closing the gap, but to make sure that we are focused on problems that need solving and not just nice to solve. I think you heard that about a million times by now. And so what? how is this thinking? How did the thinking come around saying, look, impact investing, but actually not just that we want to go a little bit further i want to make sure we have diverse folks who are involved in this we want to make sure that it's women people of color immigrants lgbtq plus and so forth was it just because you guys were sitting around a table and thinking it'd be nice to do or, or was there some sort of personal experience that perhaps nudged you in that direction 
Yeah, well, I think I would say that one of the most important things was obviously us to representing uh, the the target group. So it obviously comes from a lot of personal experience. But I think on top of that, what is important to understand is also understanding the implications for being just a part of a society and all us being true believers of the potential of technology really solving for the broader uh, society or the global side of things. But, you know, it's as the conversation goes, focusing on impact investing, you know, being part of the Nordic has also created a lot of understanding because, you know, we're very much known for being part of the world's most gender equal region in the world which could not be farther away from the truth. Uh, if you look at the funding gap as an example, as I mentioned, we're actually fall, falling behind the global numbers. Now the global numbers are really bad, right? It's around 2% going to female founders. And if you look at, you know, Europe talks about ethnicity and not color, but if you look at, you know, uh, ethnic diverse founders in Europe, we, we see that during 2021, they received 0.7% of all funding. And if we look at female founded companies, it's as little as 1%, maybe up to 1.3 in some parts, maybe even 1.8 at some markets in Europe. But it's really telling the story and the narrative that we keep hearing over and over again. So now if you go back to investing for financial returns, in addition to focusing on impact, right, environmental or social, then that tells you that there's very few investors looking at this side of the pool. And the pool is quite big when you look at that. And that really makes it a business strategic decision at the end of the day. But obviously it comes from a lot of experience as well. Yeah. When you're saying, when you're saying just now, it comes from a lot of experience and you mentioned about two minutes ago, also that personal experience, give us a little bit of insight into your personal narrative and how, uh, and how you got involved with all of this. Yes, of course. And I think one thing is important to remember, uh, and it goes both for me and my co-founder, we were our mothers uh, first, that we met as mothers, communicated and had a conversation about what does the society look like where we want our kids to grow up. And despite me and her, uh, Thea having completely different backgrounds, we realized that our values were so aligned. So we talked about, okay, how does value uh, what what importance that does value have, you know, and what is the biggest tool for accelerating change? And that was impact investing for us. So I think going back to personal uh, experience. So uh, when I was a single mom, uh, 26, uh, I got hired into one of the first startups that originated from Stockholm School of Mis Business. Mind you, I've never heard about Stockholm School of Business. Now that tells you a little bit about what kind of communication or to who they communicated. I wasn't one of them. And if we go even back, I came to Sweden as a refugee and it was literally by chance and not by choice because we were on our way to the US. My dad was working with Americans um, and we were political refugees from uh, Iran. I represent a small minority, uh, which is the Arab uh, community, uh, consists of around 5% of the population. Um, so we were on our way to the US and this was during the 80s. And if you remember, Germany was divided. So it took us around six months to get to Germany 
And from Germany, the plan was to get through uh, Denmark, Iceland, and then to New York, right? And there, my dad had work and, and colleagues waiting. But the immigration police caught us in Denmark. Uh, so we were sent to a refugee camp in Sweden. So that kind of, uh, and then by then, obviously, they, my, my parents didn't have any money and there wasn't any financial means uh, available. So it, it cost us everything we had just to get to that point. And I think it was also psychologically for him, like he didn't want to get to the US meeting colleagues and coworkers, you know, feeling poor and not having anything. So it was a plan for them to stay in Sweden, try to get a permit and work up some financial means. But then life happened. They got a divorce and we stayed. And it's interesting because the reason why I tell that is for me, it didn't have any kind of bigger meaning until I started talking about investing and, and potentially become an investor because that story affected or that experience affected me when I was fundraising as an entrepreneur. So I fundraised, in, so fast forward, I was the first hire, and then I built my own ad tech company, trying to build the Spotify of technical education. And then I fundraised in the Nordics, met over a hundred investors, and that wasn't a problem. The problem was the questions that they were asking. That led me to going to the U.S., uh, raised the pre-seed. Uh, everyone wanted to invest, which was super exciting. But then for me, it was like, what's wrong with the story? What, what's wrong with the storytelling? I'm saying exactly the same thing. I have the same traction. I'm doing the same things. What's wrong with the story? And then I understood that it's the perception of, as we talked about, the perception of the quality that exists in the, in the Nordics that is not true. And if if we go down to ownership and equity, we see that it's actually even worse. Um, so those are the stories that I brought with me meeting Thea that I felt like there's a huge opportunity. If this is the way for me and I'm privileged, I've worked in the US, I've worked internationally, I worked in the IT telecom sector before it became sexy tech. Um, so uh, despite me having all of these logos on my pitch deck, how are other founders finding this, right? Navigating the ecosystem. And then I realized, you know, 2016, I got introduced to impact tech and completely fell in love. But then working with startups uh, in the Nordics, 2016 uh, to 2018, I realized the lack of perspectives the lack of representation and just how I could see that the, 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 the solutions were so short-sighted because it didn't come from experience. It didn't come from real insights to the problems. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to tackle. So impact investing really became the tool that I could see, as I mentioned, how to accelerate this and accelerate this fast because patience is privilege and I, I don't have that privilege. It's a remarkable journey, but also remarkable how you align everything, the sense of urgency and the desire to tackle this from that, again, as you pointed out earlier, originating from that personal experience, that lived experience that you um, that you have. Let me delve a little bit into the sort of um, uh, that sort of mission and, and strategy alignment, which I'd really love to get into. And, you know, just wondering how does your is it uh, is it challenging to uh, to uh, to align that? You know, it'd be great to to learn a little bit more about how you got about it, and perhaps of course getting an example or two. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I would love to dig in about that because that's the incredible story that I, I, I think we, we're not really realizing that we're actually doing what we said we were to do, uh, 2019. Uh, but, you know, and, and, and just the transformation from talking about who we wanted to these are the cases and just talk about the products and in the businesses that they're building, right? Uh, uh, having had second close now and invested in nine companies um, for a year now. But to go back, we knew that it's it was going to be hard. I mean, if you look at impact investing a, a, as a whole, I think in Europe, uh, amongst all funds, only 0.5% of them, which is slim, are considered to be impact funds, right? Uh, and then if you look at, um, if you look at what the ecosystem looks like and talking about the funding gap, you know that it's going to be even harder. Now, it was really about finding LPs that were aligned. And, and mind you, we knew that this is not a, sh I mean, this needed a long-term strategy. So we put in a 20 year plan because we were serious about creating the change. Now we're in year five. What has happened on year five? I think because we had a long-term vision, we were able to gather some incredible LPs, meaning we were vision and mission and value aligned. But we also knew how catalytic they would be for this to even carry on and um, having the catalytic effect to the ecosystem. So we wouldn't get here if we didn't have institutional money. We wouldn't get here if we didn't have late stage uh, investors. Uh, we wouldn't get here if we didn't have high net individuals that had experienced this themselves. And, and with that, we wouldn't get here if we didn't have active family offices uh, focused on impact investing that has done impact investing for years, but obviously, understanding that diversity is a crucial aspect to it, but really not knowing how to go about it. So we went into this understanding that maybe we should try to be the guide in this, not only talk about the potential, uh, how it's both there, but how it's also untapped, but also make it in a very transparent way where we can also give a lot of you know guidance on how to go about it and also try to teach the ecosystem. I think after five years, what we realized is that are we teaching the ecosystem? No. Uh, if you look at the numbers, I mean, we're a 30 million euro fund. It's a first time fund. That's not going to shift anything, but it is, it is shifting the narratives around what is it that is the most important thing of what we're building. Right. And I think, and you know better than me, I think at this point, but one thing that I, I I think we were not expecting was how the ecosystem of investors, investing is more reactive than proactive. We talk about building the future. We know the data. We know what the future is going to look like if we do not change things. We know what the best business decisions are profoundly made of. But we still talk about AI as, you know, it's some new technology and AI at this core is statistics about how to do something to have the best performance, right? I did not expect our ecosystem of investors to have such a uh, clear strategy for, for investing in statistics. 
but completely overlooking their own statistics and their own power of influence where they're hiding behind, well, it's about making returns. We're all about returns. So are we. We're certain we're going to do better returns, but we're also more patient because it's equally important that our footprint, environmental and social, follows along and really focus on the S and the G and not the just the E. In terms of the returns and that uh, you're alluding to there, that patient capital, yeah. give us a little bit of insight into those portfolio companies that you're backing. Oh, I'm super excited about them. Um, so we've, as I mentioned to you, we had for, first close last year, uh, July 2022. Uh, so it took us four years to get to that point of actually having a conventional fund. Um, so today we have 82% of our investments going to FIBA founders. 72% uh, of them are within climate. Uh, we have an incredible company based in UK called ClimateX. Uh, I don't know if you heard about them. They're called uh, Google Maps for climate change. So it's a predictive tool that is really uh, monitoring the uh, climate change and it really assess how it impacts uh, real estate and obviously other things in that. But it can detect where floods, fires, droughts, all of that will take place and predict on the exact street and number how that street and number is going to be affected for the, within the, in the next couple of years. And there, uh, and that statistics is just getting improved. I think it's 80 plus uh, predictive now, uh, and it's just moving higher, which I'm really proud of. Not only is going to have huge implications for, as I mentioned, real estate owners, but really, you know, municipalities and cities to really invest where it needs investing when we know what is happening. Uh, we have Ocean Oasis in Norway. Uh, they're desalting water, uh, you know, salt water, over 70% of our world uh, is salt water. We cannot use that, but they have a very sustainable way of uh, desalting water, making it drinkable. And they just now had some very successful results uh, out of their uh, bu buoy that they have outside of um, the island of uh, the Canary Islands, uh, which was really successful. And from there, you know, uh, they're moving into the African market and doing some more testing. Super excited about that. And then when we look at mental health, uh, we have Mila. It's a matchmaking tool for therapists and um, clients. Today, you have um, clients uh, drop off rate is over 60% of people drop off therapy by the third session their drop-off rate is less than 2% because their algorithms are making sure that you are getting uh, you are getting uh, matched with therapists based on your needs and not through certain type of therapy because that not might not be correct for you. We have um, Octarine in Denmark. It's a sustainable coloring. It's a biotech company that has found a way to process a, a, a specific type of process that colors fabric, 15 different fabrics in a very sustainable way, make very, very uh, little impact on water, as an example. Uh, it's gonna have huge impact for the fashion industry. So these are just a couple of them that I'm really excited about. 
And the impact measurement, is it difficult? And, and by that, I mean, on the one hand, you could just say, okay, well, what are the financial returns and rely on that? As you alluded to earlier, there's much more than just that return on investment. I'm wondering about measuring that social impact, which can be challenging, you know, especially in the early stages of a business. Uh, so yeah, curious in terms of the, you know, the metrics, the criteria that you're using to, uh, to assess the, the social and the economic impact uh, of these portfolio companies that you're, you're, you're backing and And how do you ensure that these metrics, you know, that they're consistently applied and that they're transparent? Yeah. Well, I love that question. And two things to that. So obviously, we're an Article 8 fund. If you ask my co-founder, she would say Article 8++. Uh, and the reason why we're not an Article 9 fund is because of the taxonomy. There's no way that you can have funds below 100 million to keep up with the reporting that is required. So what we have done is really, you know, quantify that kind of metric. So obviously, we use the IM, IM P framework. Um, but when it comes to social taxonomy, now that's the true challenge because none of the existing, I, I would say, criteria for the taxonomy today is up to speed with what is needed for today in the next 10, 15 years. So it's a constant cha challenge between, you know, this is what we can report on, but this is what we need to look at and how can we add that to our uh, metrics and make it very viable. But I think one of the things that we early on agreed is that we also need to be flexible because this is really early stages. So there are some things you can measure early on, and that's going to be the core metric throughout the life cycle of the company. But then there are some things we we kind of found a way in, in terms of having the flexibility for them to also pivot. But the impact measurement framework that exists today, although it feels for many that it's too complicated and time-consuming, we truly believe that this is really about future-proofing companies and they actually see this as an asset rather than something that is uh, required uh, on behalf of investors. Uh, so we're very happy that the impact measurement framework that we do have, although uh, we're still trying to convince the EU about changing some of its taxonomy, particularly for social impact. Because as you probably know, social impact today has too much flexibility. So there isn't that, you know, single core uh, measurement that all funds or all impact investors are following. Everyone is kind of utilizing a little bit of their view on social impact. So in, 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 but for us, for focusing on that as well is, I mean, the, e, the environmental is really easy, but for the social part, and that's why I keep coming back to the social part, is that I think we're also that kind of fund that is going to need to create a, a new set of standards for social uh, impact. And that's what we're trying to do at the same time. Mm. Now, besides that reporting exercise that you have to do to convey the, the not just the financial returns, but also along the ESG side, is it also much of an education exercise, educating those folks around you in your periphery who might be interested in investing, but perhaps are just not as well versed in this as you and your team? Yes. And and I think, you know, we talked about um, when we when we talked earlier about, you know, we're just a 30 million euro fund with a first time fund and we're still perceived as being Europe's first impact fund with a diversity lens. So it's that it just demonstrates 
illustrates how immature this ecosystem is and that understanding that there aren't that many LPs out there that are seeing this um, as a true path to profitability um, or even bigger returns, if you might uh, add. But uh, it's a lot about educating and, and, and we're very transparent there as well. Like we're, we're learning together, but what we've seen is that because of the LP community that we managed to attract, they themselves are now each and every one of them in their own ecosystem, meaning you have the family offices, you have the institutional investors, you have the late stage investors. They are now doing the same thing within their ecosystem. So we're starting to see that kind of ripple effect, you know, uh, that we were hoping for. The question is now how quickly can we get a bigger ripple effect? And I think the network of impact investors or the if we just focus on the ecosystem of impact investors, we need to have a bigger sense of urgency. And the only way we can have that is by acknowledging some of the aspects within social impact. And as long as we're mainly focused on environmental and we see that having, you know, five to seven years or seven to 10 years, depending on who you talk to, you completely are disregarding who is going is affected by the environmental today right um so i hope i would have sound much more positive uh for our results uh but with geopolitical events of the world today as we are witnessing um both the current events happening and obviously the ukraine russia happening last year i'm disheartened by the responsibility and the power to influence we do have, but we're still just a reactive community waiting for someone else to make the first move. Yeah. What are some of those unique challenges uh, faced by, by by those folks in your portfolio companies, You know, given their diverse backgrounds? Uh, any particular challenges that come to mind that perhaps aren't generally yeah. uh, what others might experience? Well, I mean, um, and I think because we've experienced them ourselves, we know what they talk about, but it's just the, the questions that you get from other investors, you know, are they based on opportunity or risk management, right? Uh, are they based off of biases or are they based off of uh, knowledge about the market? I think those are some of the things, but as uh, just to take it back to what we knew is that we knew that if we're investing in companies, they are going to be perceived as diversity tickets rather than growth potential, right? So what we needed to do, and uh, and I've had conversations over and over again, I don't think other investors needed to do that. We really needed to take a hard look at our strategy and say to ourselves that because of the what the reality looks like for us and the implications it has for founders. As an example, I think the first data that came now was, was from a recent study made in the US that they said that when female founded VCs are investing in female uh, founded companies, it affects their ticket size and round um, as well as valuation. We kind of knew that uh, ahead of this report. Uh, so what we did was that we make sure that we have co-investors that has that kind of legacy, as well as having a majority male-founded uh, VCs, male GPs taking the lead. 
because of the implications of if we were the only investor on board, unfortunately. And that has proven to really, you know, uh, be beneficial for our uh, founders. And it's the first time they're also realizing um, the the importance that they have in the ecosystem, particularly for those that are pre-Series A now, because they were just trying to get the capital, didn't want it to make about the funding gap. And when they got to pre-seed and then got to seed, seed stage, they got to decide who they're uh, who they're inviting to the table. And that's when they realize, you know, I actually have more power than the ecosystem is telling me. So that's kind of where we see founders now really exercising uh, their unique uh, position in what kind of investors do I want to see at my cap table? And going back to being value aligned, we're going to see much more of that. I mean, there there is a reason why we're witnessing the, I, I don't know if I want to mention it, but the, witnessing the open AI situation happening now, it's going to become even more so going forward because it's not just about governance. It's also about what kind of culture are these founders building? And that's going to influence the entire uh, journey, uh, growth journey. And they're looking at investors. They're not just looking at the ticket size. They're looking at investors and and uh, so for that reason alone, I hope those are the stories that are going to convince other investors about broadening their horizon. I sense optimism but with a healthy dose of realism as well. I, I see also you have your eye firmly on, on the horizon going forward. So let me ask you a little bit about that, you know, the future vision, the, the trends. How do you see things unfolding? And let's just round it off nicely to 2030, nice target year for the, the sustainable development goals. How do you think how do you see things playing out based on your experience thus far? So my heart says we still have a chance. My heart says if we can ramp up this, if we can find more diverse uh, fund managers, uh, we need more funds out there. They don't have to have an impact, uh, obviously, focus, but we need to have more diverse fund managers in order to find more diverse founders, in order to have more solutions to problems that most investors won't even experience themselves. So how are they going to evaluate the market if they haven't experienced it? So I think with what we're seeing in the next couple of seven years, and I think COVID being really the year that demonstrated that despite us all being in it, we were not all in it. And I think that is a key takeaway that we need to be more realistic about that despite we all want the same thing, we're not experiencing the same thing and we will not experience the same thing. So hopefully within the next seven years, we have the 17 goals are actually, uh, because you know that they were 22 to begin with, and then they became 17. So my hope is that we actually narrow it down to when, and that is equality. I truly believe that when we focus on equality, that kind of, takes care of everything else. We just need one. We don't even need the 17 to describe what we need to do, to be honest. It's not rocket science, right? Uh, if we just focus on equality, and I hope within my heart that we will get to a position where institutional investors are taking their responsibility um, more because it, at the end of the day, it's tax money, right? So they should be influencing more uh, of these SDGs, they should be influencing more solutions to target other things than just 
credit scores or generative AI, uh, you know, there are other things out there. So that is my hope and vision for 2030, that we will have huge late stage funds that are targeting both impact and uh, diversity. And that diversity isn't just an add-on, it's the core of what we do. And that ultimately unconventional ventures became conventional ventures. Hmm. I was going to ask you about sharing a key takeaway, but I think perhaps you, you've just shared it with us. Thank you. I think that, yeah. Nora, thank you so very much for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for making the time and uh, for giving us insight into your work. And it's much appreciated. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm truly excited for it, not only what you are doing but the conversations you're having so thank you so much for having me perfect and that's a wrap thanks very much for tuning in as always you've been listening to a great chat with nora baby founder and general partner of unconventional ventures for information about this conversation and more than 250 other interviews and case studies with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy sustainability and social entrepreneurship just visit our website at Liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Thoroughly enjoyed producing today's episode for you, and I'll catch you this coming Monday.